If you turn to the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis, Genesis 39, again a familiar passage and praise the Lord, a little less graphic than last week. Hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Now we're, we're privileged that the Lord would write to us in such a way that he understands the things that we face, the, the world that we live in. It's interesting to me you know, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that that should be in the Bible. Well, why don't you tell God? You know, I'm pretty sure he put in there what he wants in there. And tonight we have a very familiar story to uh, many of you, but it is a story that contains a ton of truth. And it shows a man named Joseph, whom I personally believe is the most visibly focused uh, on the Lord person that we find in the entire Old Testament. You know, he's not considered to be one of the patriarchs in that sense. We think of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob with that regard principally. But in no one's life is the plan and the purpose actually clearer than in the life of Joseph. It seems as though we can almost watch God step by step move Joseph through tragedy and trial to triumph and he is just at work and it is so evidently clear that Joseph himself is focused on the Lord. And so as you will pick up tonight in verse 1, we'll get the whole chapter, chapter 39. Let's pray and ask God to use his word to transform us. Father, we are again just desirous, Lord, that you would speak into our lives your truth. Lord, we've come to hear your word. We pray that nothing that I would say or do would hinder you from speaking to us as your people. And pray that we glean great truth from these passages, Lord, these verses. And we ask that you'd speak into our lives those things that we need to hear individually. Personally, would you take your word and translate it directly into our lives so that we might use it, Lord, for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, And now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, And it's interesting to me that God takes the time to describe someone who is very clearly connected to the world. This is not some lightweight that Joseph has landed in the house of a heavyweight uh, in the society of Egypt. And again, as I've shared with you many times before, when you see the word Egypt and when you see the country Egypt, when you see the place Egypt... It is an adequate rendering for you to say the world. Egypt in scripture represents the world and all that the world has to offer. And in this case, Egypt is the great power of that day and time. Uh, It it is the one force to be reckoned with in the region. You know, sometimes we think of the promised land and we think of Egypt, we, we think of them so separated that, you know, there's just no possible way that this could be really close but when you travel to Israel something becomes very very evident Uh, when you're in Elat you're very close you can throw a stone into both Jordan and Egypt Uh, 
And when you travel into the Gaza area or the Gaza Strip uh, of Israel, uh, just to the south of that is Egypt. And so Egypt was close. And here we have this well-connected man that is going to end up with a man who loves the Lord in a heathen environment who's going to now stand for God at all costs. And I think that the greatest application of this passage, whether you're a man or a woman, is that no matter where God puts you, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, there's a couple of things that are always going to be true about you and your relationship with the Lord. And that is you will either rest and trust and stand in him, or you will surrender. And here we find Joseph resting and trusting in the Lord, and we see God come through time after time after time after time. An Egyptian bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there, and the Lord was with Joseph. And you're going to see that phrase uh, in roughly that form four times uh, in this chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. Didn't seem like the Lord was with Joseph. And I think tonight there are probably many of you that have had circumstances in your life to where you were probably wondering if the Lord was with you. And think of where Joseph is now. There's a plot first to kill him. Then the brothers kind of come off of that particular plan. They throw him in a pit. They eventually pull him out of the pit. They sell him into slavery. Uh, And now he's down in the enemy's camp. And yet it is said of this man who's been mistreated, maligned. uh, His father's been told that he's dead. And now we find that the Lord is with him. And the Lord is with us in those moments of our lives where we are tempted to think that perhaps God has forsaken us. And he was a successful man. When God is with you, you can count on the Lord being your portion, your strength, your strong tower, your mighty one. That's who he is. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Now I want you to notice something. We're only a couple of verses in here. Joseph has been sold into slavery and it was clear to his master that the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was with Joseph. That means his witness was very, very, very visible. And I think as we saw this morning, that there was something about Joseph and undoubtedly it was, a, it was the love of the Lord that was coming through because he had every right to be bitter, amen? He had every right to have a woe is me, poor pitiful me attitude. He, he could have been an Eeyore believer at that point in time. He could have been searching for his tail. But the Lord was with him And that the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. So visible was the work of the Lord in Joseph's life that what Joseph did gave glory to the Lord. Do you remember what I said as we closed this morning if you were with us? It is one thing to declare the works of the Lord. And it is another thing 
for us to actively, actively go do the works of the Lord. That our living has to match up with our speaking. We, we need to make sure that what we declare and what we do match up. That way the Lord gets the glory for our lives. And so Joseph found favor in his sight. And he served him. Now the first thing that people will say is, well, this is, this is unfair. Yes, it's unfair. And yes, uh, a heathen captain of the guard is going to profit off of Joseph because God's blessing him. But that's also true of our lives very often. And yet the Lord doesn't pull Joseph out of this situation. He prospers Joseph in this situation. And Joseph found favor in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had put under his authority. So everything this man had was entrusted to Joseph whose life is marked by his God. The one thing that this man clearly knew is who Joseph's God was. And it was God that had prospered him. And so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. You know, I've listened to story after story after story of a company or a business that is not specifically Christian that ends up becoming blessed and prosperous because it has people who love the Lord working in it. Because God's not only watching after the families of those believers, but God is actually through them ministering to those people who do not yet know him. And so people become great at the things that they do. They prosper, they rise to the top. They end up in positions of authority, exactly as Joseph is, and you can see the hand of God upon his life. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field and thus he left all he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread that he ate in other words he was so trusting of this man whose character was impeccable before the Lord that he didn't even ask any questions he said you just tell me where to go have dinner that is a man of unquestioned character And one could say this would be a a woman of unquestioned character in the Lord. I think it's wise for us to not too deeply genderize uh, the truth that's here. And while it's being written in uh, certainly a context of Joseph and Joseph being a man, uh, the truth is timeless across, across gender bounds as well. And now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. You know, it's interesting to me that sometimes one of the things that we often forget is God's providence. And, and that word that we use in English, providence, is actually made of a couple of Latin words. Uh, pro, meaning before, and video, meaning to view. In other words, God has viewed your life start to finish before you ever live it. God has seen the totality of everything that will ever happen in human history before it happens. He knows everything before it happens. God's providence then is perfect. He makes zero mistakes in that regard because he actually knows the outcome. 
That does not mean that he has predetermined everything, but he does know what's going to happen. God allows mankind to live his life, and God allows circumstances and situations to play out in our lives. Any number of paths that your life can take, any number of places that you could go that the Lord might prosper you initially in, and there are places that you can go that the Lord might just allow you a little bit of problem. There are things that you can do with your decision-making that place you directly in God's plan and path, and there are things that you do with your decision-making that can make God have to come rescue you. But make no mistake, God providentially cares for his people. He's not caught off guard. He doesn't wake up, and all of a sudden he is amazed. You know, he's stunned by what has occurred. I had the privilege after services today to pray with all kinds of different people. And so many of those that I prayed with came and said, you know, the Lord uh, just shared with me in my cancer, or the Lord just shared with me in this brokenness in our home, or the Lord just shared with me that he's got this under control. God has it. And the reason that we know that Joseph knows that God has it is Joseph is focused on the Lord. And that's what makes the difference in his life. He is looking at things from God's perspective. When we look at earth and we look at the things in our lives from our perspective, things look pretty bleak most of the time. Amen? They really do. If you're looking to yourself, to your own resources, your own capacities, your own abilities, uh, then, then you're almost always overmatched. You're outgunned, overwhelmed. But if you're looking at life from God's perspective, it takes a different flavor. And in this case, the hand of God is upon Joseph. He, it's the leading of the Lord. And actually, we're going to find out that God sends Joseph to Egypt. It's not even that he allowed it. It's very clear that he was actually sent there by God. And so each one of these things that comes up that's seemingly negative is an example of Romans 8.28 working out in his life. For someone who loves God, all things work together to the good. I think it's super important for us as the body of Christ to remember, number one, that that verse applies to people who know and love the Lord. All things do not work out to the good or for the good to those who do not love the Lord. That promise is to people who love the Lord. And the second thing is that those things work together for the good. Romans 8.28 does not say that all things in life are good. And I hope everyone gets that. Very fine distinction, but it is a super important distinction. Because cancer is not good. Heart attack's not good. Losing your home's not good. Being broken on the streets, not good. The Bible doesn't say that it's good. It doesn't say you should wake up in the morning and go, Praise the Lord, I'm broke. And they'll say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for giving me cancer. I'm going to die next week. And I've met people that falsely kind of take this, this almost silly mentality of trying to say that, well, you know, I've just got cancer, so praise the Lord. When you say that to people who love you, they think that you need to get some psychological help. 
Now, those things are still bad, but they are ingredients in God's recipe for your life. And he knows exactly how much cancer to mix with prosperity. He knows exactly how much cancer to mix with your family life. He knows how much cancer to mix in with the totality of everything else that's in your life. And as a believer, all things being worked together equal God's good in your life. That principle is found here in Joseph's life. Because being in in prison is not going to be fun. It's not going to be good in a practical sense. And Joseph is headed there. Joseph is going to express basically Romans 8, 28 when we get to chapter 50. He's going to give the Old Testament version of that verse. And so from God's perspective, from his providence, then everything that you have in your life, even though it seems to be dark, it looks terrible, each step of it is a, is a place of the fruition of God's life, life's plan for you when you're trusting in the Lord and when you're walking with him. He doesn't miss any opportunities, in other words, to do good with the things that even harm you. Even our misfortunes, our heartbreaks, our sufferings ultimately will be used for the Lord's glory. And you'll look back on them and go, oh, that's what he was doing. But we don't see that initially. What we see is more like the story of Joseph and Job in Romans 8.28. And in Job's story, if you want to turn there, Job chapter 1, if you want to flip over there, because I really want to look at a couple of verses. In Job chapter 1, we have this man about whom God himself brags. Now, I'd like to have God be able to brag on every last one of us, myself included. That when the Lord would look at the earth and he would go, have you considered my servant Jeff? Have you considered my servant Sonny? Have you considered my servant Sarah? Have you considered my servant and fill in the blank and put your name in there? There is none like him on the earth in righteousness. None like her on the earth in righteousness. And so God's bragging on you to the devil. You are case in point for God's righteousness because like Joseph, you're walking with the Lord so closely that God can brag on you. Have you considered my servant Barbara? You you see, when you think that way, these verses become very, very clear. Satan wants to now test Job. And in verse 10, we find this. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. What is said about Joseph? You've blessed everything he touches. And his possessions have increased in the land. What's said about Joseph? Pharaoh's goods in his farm, his field, and his home are blessed because of Joseph. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to to your face. In other words, now Satan, being the accuser of the brethren, because that's what he does, he's the father of lies, 
is actually bold enough to say to God, you know what? If you just take some stuff away from Sarah, you just take some stuff away from Jeff, if you just take some stuff away from them, if you go to Albert's home and you just take all his stuff away and his family, then he'll curse you. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Make no mistake, Satan is not called a roaring lion for nothing. He's not called the destroyer for nothing. He's not called the accuser of the brethren for nothing. He, he is powerful and he is permitted by God to do an awful lot of things that you and I would rather that God didn't permit him to do. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. In other words, you can't kill him. You got to stop short of killing him. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So Satan's basically saying, God, you have rigged this. This is your game. You're controlling it. And because you've made things so good for Job, you take your hedge from around him, you let me at him, and he will curse you to your face. And so great is the work of the Lord in our lives that not only does God allow Satan to test Job that way, but he absolutely knows ultimately what's going to happen in Job's life, and Job is going to pass that test. But Job's life became a living hell. Job lost everything. His flocks, his fields, his family. Everything that Job had was taken away from him. And as you read through the story of Job, we find him sitting in the city dump. He's got boils. He's scraping himself with pieces of pottery. Even his wife finally comes to him and says, you know, if you knew what was good for you, you'd curse God and die. But not only does Job not do that, by the time we get to chapter 19 in the book of Job, what we find is a man who's so resolute in who God is, he says, I know that I will stand on this earth and I will see him in my flesh. I'll see God. Do you have that kind of faith tonight? Do you have that kind of faith tonight? That God indeed is going to work all things together for your good. Even when it seems like the hedge is down, the wall's down, and the enemy has been loosed in your home. Because God does have a plan. And that plan ultimately is a future, it's a hope, it's good, it's not evil. And he has a plan to prosper you exactly as he's going to do Joseph. The question is, will you trust him? Dr. Ari Torrey used to say that Romans 8.28 is that beautiful soft pillow for a very weary heart. It's a place to lay your head when the world seems to be coming unglued. And I, and I think that here in the story of Joseph, we have much the same 
thing because when you think about Egypt at that time, Egypt had been a power for more than 500 years already. They were the power in the region. They served a pantheon. There were more than 2,000 gods. Their cities, the major cities, uh, were usually governed by a specific deity like Ra, the sun god, or Osiris, uh, that was going to judge the deeds of all humankind one day. And so those cities took on the flavor of these gods. So here's Joseph in a very foreign environment. And I can tell you, us as believers, we're in a very foreign environment. Amen? The world that we live in is is not friendly to the cause of Christ. It's very anti-Christ in that sense. If you were to run around with an Egyptian pharaoh costume, you would probably get all kinds of people to follow you around and they'd make a cult out of you and everything else. But chances are you wouldn't go to jail for it. But if you stand on the street corner and continue to preach Christ, and you stop a little traffic and you tell them about Jesus, oh, I can guarantee you're going to be in trouble. Joseph was in that kind of environment. You're in that kind of environment. And you need to rest and trust exactly like Joseph is going to do. He doesn't have a a cushy job. He, He doesn't have everything taken care of. God has not so protected him that nothing bad can happen to Joseph. And in fact, we're going to see that not only does something bad happen to Joseph, something really bad happens to Joseph. But God is going to do something really good with what happens to him that's really bad. And you've got to look at it that way. That's how you can have peace in that moment of trouble. These slaves that were Semitic, the, the line of Shem... Ultimately, there, there are going to be millions, more than likely, of Hebrew slaves that are going to do nothing but make mud bricks. And God's going to deliver. They're going to be there for 400 years. We, we whine about things that go through election cycles, don't we? That's four years. Multiply times 100 And that's how long the Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt. Are are you willing to rest and trust that God is good even when the enemy's doing his worst? There's three things I think that we can learn from this story kind of encapsulate some of these things. Joseph becomes the source of God's blessing for everybody. He's that Psalm 1 guy. If you have an underlined Psalm 1 in your Bible, do it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? Stands in the path of sinners, doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the kind of person that God blesses. Meditates on that law day and night. By the time you get to verse 3 of Psalm 1, it says it's going to end up like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in the season whose leaf doesn't wither and whatever he does shall prosper in the Lord. 
That's, that's what a person's like that trusts God. But that doesn't mean you're not going to go through difficulty. It means that in the storm, in the difficulty, you're clinging to God. And Joseph is an example of that kind of trust in the Lord. You know, he never read Jeremiah 29.7. Seek peace in the city where I've caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. He didn't know that, but he was living it. Joseph didn't have that benefit. Or what Peter would write to those Christians who were scattered in the Roman Empire. You know, sometimes we read the things that Paul and Peter wrote about those who've been put in authority over us. We're like, we want to go find Paul and Peter and strangle them. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to a king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of those who do good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not yet using that liberty for a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. It is hard to honor some of the kings we got, amen? It is. It's hard. And yet the Bible, without question, points the picture of Joseph and points the picture of Peter and the picture of Paul as, look, if you really want to do the most good, then obey the authorities that have been put over you and do good to them if you want to be blessed by God. And pray for them. Doesn't mean we have to like everything. Doesn't mean we even have to approve of everything. It simply means that when it gets down to it, what we want them to know is that we love the Lord. We have God's plans in mind. That was Joseph. He was a source of blessing. It says here in verse 5 that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Can I tell you that America has been blessed because of the body of Christ in America? That is an absolute fact. Our system of laws is founded, whether you want to believe it or not, the principal author of the Constitution. John Adams, as he writes, it is not even suitable for anyone except a group of people that honor God because it assumes that there's someone over us. Our whole system of laws is built on that. That's why our Declaration of Independence says what it says. That God is the ruler of the universe. And one day we're all going to answer to him. And so we need to be faithful to him no matter where we are. Proverbs 22 verse 29 says, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. And when you do a good job, when you honor the Lord with everything, including serving that boss that's taken advantage of you, 
You honor the Lord. And so we ought not to look at difficulty as though it's like God hates us. If there was ever a person in the entire Bible that could look at their circumstance and go, man, God hates me, it was Joseph. I mean, what did this guy do? How did he end up in this circumstance? Yeah, he had a couple of dreams, probably should have kept his mouth shut, but it it certainly wasn't worthy of his brothers selling him into slavery or trying to kill him. And now he ends up in, in the house of this ruler of the Egyptians. Uh, and shortly it's going to get really ugly for him. The second thing we see in Joseph's life, pick up in verse 7. Joseph's going to be an overcomer of temptation. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, that would be Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph And she said, lie with me. And we will not elaborate this week after having elaborated last week, but I think you all know what that means. And I think it is also equally important to not genderize this, but to modernize it to look and say, this could happen either direction in the world in which we live. There are men with evil intent. There are women with evil intent. And there are both who are not satisfied with the person that they might personally be married to or the fact that someone else is married to someone that they desire and they are not past doing this very thing. This is a very real temptation in our world. Lie with me. But he refused. And said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has into my hand. Do you see a man of deep integrity there? Because let's face it, the situation is an opportune one for someone who has their heart someplace other than on the Lord. Who's going to know? Joseph's handsome. She's hot. She wants him. He's a guy. Sounds like every soap opera on television. Pretty much the same situation, isn't it? There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That is a reminder for every person in this room and all that are watching online or if you're going to listen to this message later. Whether you think so or not, God sees everything. Those moments where you think you're not being seen, where those moments where you think you're the only two people left on the face of the earth. And Joseph recognizes this so much that he says, look, I, I'm not going to sin against God. And so it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day. This was not a one-time occurrence. This is like, hi, Joseph, lie with me. How's it going, your hotness? Why don't you come on over after work? 
I'll be here by myself. And oh, by the way, I was just over at uh, the store in the mall, got a new outfit. You can modernize this. This is a temptation that goes on for days. That he did not heed, didn't hear her, to lie with her or to be with her. Joseph not only is not entertaining this, he's doing exactly what James chapter 4 says. Resist the devil and he will flee. Go the other way. When the enemy comes knocking, tell him you already have one. You don't need another God. That you're not going to listen. That you refuse to be engaged. You see, the problem that many of us face is that we attempt to see exactly how close we can get to the cliff of sin before we fall off. Not Joseph. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to to do his work that none of the men of the house were inside and she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand, he fled outside. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. He had to know that that was incriminating evidence against him. But he was more concerned with his integrity than he was with getting in trouble. Oh, that that would be true about the body of Christ, that we'd be so concerned with our integrity that we're willing to risk someone else thinking something that's not true rather than catching us in the middle of something that could cause them to truly question our integrity. Your integrity is one of the very few things that you can protect. You can't protect your own life from everything but you can protect your integrity. And she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. And he came into me to lie with me and cried out with the, and I cried out with a loud voice like, help! Total stone cold lie. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice, he cried out, And he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. And so she kept his garment until his master came home. And then she spoke to him in words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. And so it happened that as I lifted up my voice and cried out, that he left his garment and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did this to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused and he took Joseph's, and Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Now you can almost see how Joseph might have thought, man, it would have been better to sin. I mean, that's what she wanted. 
You might, you might even say it, it would have caused Joseph less pain. But this is how the enemy gets into our lives in the area of compromise. He presents a couple of options and neither of them are good. And he tries to convince us of the one that is less bad. And strangely enough, guess what he usually does? He makes that pleasing to some aspect or area of your flesh. Here it is. I mean, come on. I mean, who's going to know? After all, you know, he's a Jew, he's a slave, he works for my husband, therefore he works for me. And it's like, I'm in charge of this house. He just needs to take orders. Joseph could have justified his sin. Joseph could have said, I, I didn't have any choice. What was I going to do? You can see easily how Joseph could have compromised and probably very few people would have actually held it against him. They would have probably agreed with him. Yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. But Joseph was so focused on the Lord. He said, I don't care what this is going to cost me. I refuse to sin against God. I refuse. I'm not going to go there. I don't care what happens. You see, what starts out here in the story is flattery turns into poison and if you start drinking from that poisoned well that poison will kill you that poison will destroy your life and that's the lesson this is the lesson of all sexual sin this is the lesson of pornography this is the lesson of you going to a spring that is not your spring That's why Solomon spoke to his son so frequently and often and spoke. He says, look, the the harlot, and again, I I don't want to genderize this. I think it's appropriate. It doesn't matter whether you put man or woman in that position. But that person who's like that, that person who's trying to seduce is a narrow well. And a narrow well is really hard to get out of, especially when there's water in the bottom of it. It could cost you your life. People talk about these types of things with such a cavalier attitude that it's, it's, it's become something that God never intended. It's really shocking when you look at television and you're like, you can't sell a hamburger without relating it to some kind of sexual experience? You can't sell a candy bar? You can't even sell the television itself? That's the world we live in. The world we live in is filled with Potiphar's wives or Potiphar's husbands, whichever you, it doesn't matter to me. But the world is filled with those types of things that are going to cry out to you, lie with me. And it could be money. 
It can be power. It can be this. It can be passion. It can be possessions. It can be things vying for the the attention that will make that thing God instead of God being God. And when anything becomes God instead of God, you have lost. Now it may be a temporary loss and repentance may be around the corner, but the fact of the matter is, this is the world. Fornication, adultery, those types of sins turn what God intended to be pure and beautiful into a sewer. Then something is so destructive, it's mind-boggling how destructive it is. That's why Proverbs chapter 5, you can read it for yourself later. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Drink from your own stream. Don't go there. That's what happens when you give in to those things that are crying out for your attention that are not from the Lord. Notice Joseph's path of integrity and courage here. Joseph basically explains why he's not going to cooperate. It's like, look, I'm not going to do this. Number one, and by the way, no Ten Commandments yet. You know, it's interesting to me that even countries that do not have laws have this law in the heart of man. Monogamy is the standard in the world, irregardless of the system of government of that particular country. People in the most remote tribal regions of the remotest parts of the Amazon jungle, many of whom are uncontacted people, still generally live in monogamous relationships because it's in the heart of man to do so. We understand there's something special about the male-female relationship that it should not be treated anything other than holy. And so Joseph recognizes that. You're, you're another man's wife. I don't have any right to touch you. The second thing that he'd been trusted by his master. When you are entrusted with something, that means that you should not violate that trust. It's one of the things that that I think most of us despise about the political climate of our country. It's like, who do you trust? It's like, yes is no longer yes. Yes is kind of sort of maybe as long as my fingers are not behind my back. Yes is supposed to be yes. And for the body of Christ, for believers, when we say the Lord is in this and this is what he wants, we are expected to live that way. We have to have integrity. I think you can almost see Potiphar's wife arranging things to make it as appealing to Joseph as possible. There's no servants in the house. She just keeps coming after him. That's exactly how the devil's going to work on you. You're going to drive past that same bar. You're going to drive past that same dispensary. It's going to become, lie with me. That same person on Facebook or Instagram. I'm still here. 
Well, it starts as flattery. And then all of a sudden, your instant messaging. Don't do it. It takes integrity and it takes courage. Delete those accounts. Say no. Just say no. That's what Joseph does. Romans 6, verse 21 to 23 says, What fruit did you have then in the things which, of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. When you think about it, there, there's nothing but shame in those things. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves to God... You have the fruit of holiness and the end of everlasting life for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The the choice is clear. We used to walk in those things because we didn't know any better. But now that we do know better we're ashamed of them and Joseph's shame that he would even be in that situation is clear. He says I am not going to shame the Lord. I just refuse to. And again, that's why James 4 says what it says. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. It doesn't say, therefore, submit to the sin, put yourself in harm's way, and continue to think about it and dwell upon it and hope that God delivers you. It says we have to use our God-given willpower to do exactly what Joseph does, which is to keep our integrity, to have courage, and resist the devil. It's seen in the life of Nehemiah in chapter 6. In the opposite way, he's got the courage. He says, look, I'm not going to flee. I'm staying right here. God called me to this. And so if God calls you to stay, stay. If he tells you to flee, flee. But do what God tells you to do. That's the picture here. And And I love the character of Joseph because even if no one else knew, He knew that God did. And that was enough for him. That was what really mattered in his life. Proverbs 25 verse 28 simply says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Brothers and sisters, you need walls in your life. Don't let the walls get broken down. Don't let your city become defenseless. Keep them up. Be bold. Be holy. And in that sense, Joseph lost his coat, but he kept his character. Amen? Yeah, he's coatless, and he's going to get in trouble for losing the coat. But nothing else happened, and no one could prove that anything else happened. You see, to that end, Joseph basically waited on the Lord. He says, Lord, I'm trusting you. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He says, look, I, I'm going to go with whatever happens in my life. I, I, I know I'm in trouble. But even in prison, not only is Joseph going to keep his character, but he's going to prosper in prison. 
And the keeper of the prison committed Joseph's hand into Joseph's hand. All the prisoners who were in the prison, you see what he does? He puts him right back in the same situation that Potiphar put him in in the first place. He says, we're giving you everything. Basically, the keeper of the prison is saying, I don't even think you belong here. So we've got to figure out some other thing for you to do. And whatever they did there, it was his doing. Basically, Joseph started running the prison. And the keeper of the prison did not look on anything that was under Joseph's authority. And here comes the causal, effect, the causal reason. Because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Family of God, just like Potiphar, the warden now turns everything over to Joseph. And for the exact same reason, it was so clear that God was the center of Joseph's life that even a heathen jailer, a prison warden, recognized who was on Joseph's side. When you do the right thing, it is God's obligation to defend you. He is obliged to defend his children who trust and wait on him. Who yield, when we yield our lives to the Lord, we fall into that Hebrews 6 verses 10 through 12 situation for God is not unjust to forget your labor, your work, your labor of love, which you've shown towards his name, that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. And that which we desire for each of you is to show with that same diligence and full assurance that hope to the end that you will not become sluggish, but imitate those through whom faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Joseph kept his his integrity. He kept the faith. He leaned on the Lord. He he could have, as Romans 5 tells us, that patience and perseverance that produces character and character hope. The, The James 1 principle of counting it all joy when we fall into diverse trials. That's a trial, amen? I don't know about you, but getting thrown in prison falsely is a trial of a major kind. But he would rather be in prison with the Lord than in bed with Potiphar's wife without the Lord. That's a place that we all ought to think about. I would rather be in prison with the Lord than in a sinful situation without the Lord. That should be every one of our desires. And in this case, I think God's in the process of kind of removing the, the training wheels from Joseph's life. It's going to be two years later, and he's going to get delivered out of prison. And it'll be a while longer, and he's going to deliver his whole family. But I pray that we have the same desire for those spiritual blessings. That we have the, the fortitude to run from temptation and the patience to wait for his provision in our lives so that he can bless us. Because we must not forget that in all that Joseph did, God blessed him. Whether he was in prison or in Potiphar's house. Whether as he will become the grand vizier. He's going to become a ruler himself. 
He's going to have even more power than he had in Potiphar's house eventually. Because God's got it under control. God sees it. And God does know what he's doing. And he's working all those things together for good in Joseph's life. And during these years of waiting, Joseph could look back and he'd say, you know what, God was faithful. And I declare to you from my own life, God is faithful. God is faithful. He's even faithful, as Paul would write to Timothy, when I'm faithless, when I mess up, when I'm not doing what God's asked me to do, God is still faithful. So you can imagine the double blessing when I am faithful to a faithful God, you can count on things being really good. Let's make sure that we act like this in our lives. That, that the testing, the trials we go through, just simply are ways for God to refine us, to make us ready for that next step. So when he pulls your training wheels off, I don't know how many of you have ever had that opportunity with your kids. Or maybe you can remember back in your own life, there's that initial fear, man, I'm going down. This is going to get ugly. But then all of a sudden you figure out how to balance that, that faith and integrity with the life that you're living and you find all the while right behind you, there's dad and he's got a hold of the seat, never let you go. But you've been pedaling on your own. That's what God wants us to do. Let's walk in integrity, amen? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you that in the midst of all the things that go on in our lives, you are always faithful, Lord. Lord, in the face of trial and tribulation, the face of temptation, God, you're still faithful. And Lord, help us to resist those things that might otherwise trip us up. God, we pray that you would expose those things which are in our lives which might be a potential trap. God, we ask that you would show us the, the Potiphar's wives in our own lives. Or maybe they're Potiphar's husbands or, or maybe there's some behavior, some thing in our life that has grave potential to steal our character if we were to give in. God, help us to resist those things. God, if there's anyone struggling tonight in some area that you know and they know you know. Lord, would they surrender it to you. Father, we thank you that you are good and that your mercy endures forever. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless us with strength and perseverance. Cause us to run the race with, with that endurance, Lord, that would help us to reach forward to that high calling, that prize that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, we look forward to that day when we're glorified and in heaven. And until then... Help us to keep our integrity and trust in you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.